Welcome back to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your trusty travel pal, your occasional source of comedic relief, and of course, your backseat driver. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, expressive arts therapist, and your trusty mechanic. And I'm Kim Tizard, a parent, and I am along for today's ride. And Mark Tizard, and I too am a backseat driver in my own household. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hop back in that driver's seat, y'all. Let's get going. quote is by Violet Stevens. Even for parents of children that are not on the spectrum, there is no such thing as a normal child. April was Autism Awareness Month, so we're a little bit behind schedule. Nonetheless, we thought we would extend it out into May. So joining us this week are Kim and Mark Tizard. Kim is the Director of Family Support for the Autism Society of North Carolina. She's worked with the Autism Society of NC for a little over 16 years, and in addition to her personal experience as the mother of a son with autism, Ms. Tizard currently serves as the Director of Family Support. In this role, she supports the autism resource specialist and chapters across the state. She also represents ASNC on several collaborative efforts and projects, which focus on the immediate needs of those individuals and caregivers with autism spectrum disorder and intellectual and developmental disabilities. Welcome to the show, Kim and Mark. Thanks so much. We're really excited to be with you all tonight. So just to kick things off, can you tell us a little bit more about yourselves and some of the roles that I just described? Kim and Mark Tizard, and we both um, have been married now for a little over 30 years. We're we're almost to our 31st anniversary coming up in May. I kind of fell into my current work role because of my son's diagnosis. My previous life was in marketing and public relations. And as we'll discuss a little bit more tonight, a lot of that direction had to make a pretty quick kind of shift in our priorities for a multiple of other reasons And I have been with the Autism Society for a little over 16 years now. And I'm going to take you all back on a little journey as to how that even happened. My path was very much around kind of corporate America, public relations and marketing. And our son was diagnosed with autism at a little over 15 months old. And at that time, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to pull up my bootstraps and do what I needed to do. Didn't really take the time to, like, just mourn over that. And by the time he was going to be in kindergarten, he was going to be looking just like all of the other peers in the class and and everything was going to be great. So what started me with the Autism Society is I dropped him off at his kindergarten class and it wasn't what I had thought that journey was going to be. And I left there hysterical crying, walked out into the parking lot. And there was this amazing group of moms who were out there laughing and talking. And I remember thinking, what do they have to be so happy about? But anyways, they saw me come out just in this set of tears and they waved me over. I was very embarrassed and thought, pretend you don't see me. 
And they called me over and they said, you're in, you're new at this and you just dropped your son off in one of the specialized classrooms. And of course, I'm bawling and I say, yes, that's exactly what just happened. And they wrapped their arms around me. And it turned out that most of them were members. It was just like four or five. It wasn't like this huge group of 20 moms out there. It was like about four moms. And they were all part of the Autism Society of North Carolina's chapter. And that was my beginning with the Autism Society of North Carolina is just feeling that I wasn't alone, that I had this group of people that understood where I was and what I was going through. And many of them are still our close friends today. I work with a lot of them. And that's kind of where my journey began with the Autism Society, probably closer to a little over 20 years ago was with the chapters. Wow. That's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Excellent. For those of our listeners who maybe aren't very familiar with autism spectrum disorder, could you kind of walk us through what it is, what it means, that kind of thing? Sure. So when you think about autism spectrum disorder, they call it a spectrum for a reason, because you can have um, individuals that can be just from what we call kind of a level one where they may need very little support to a level three where they may need a lot of additional support in many other aspects of their life. And we like to even kind of think about if you've ever looked at a snowflake or you hear it talked about that no two snowflakes are the same. Well, that's you know very similar to those individuals who are actually on the autism spectrum, that no two are the same. And autism spectrum disorder is very much, it's a group of developmental disabilities. And they're typically associated with different challenges of varying degree of severity, in particular, the areas of social interaction, communication, repetitive and restricted behaviors. And it is often considered more of a brain disorder that typically appears in the first three years of life. I will tell you in our position, and I'll talk a little bit more of that later, we hear from parents more and more where their child um, or loved one is actually getting diagnosed at an older age as well. Hmm. But typically we kind of notice that within the first three years. The severity of symptoms can vary drastically from each person back to that snowflake idea. Some of the most obvious signs may present themselves between two and three years of age. That's when we noticed it with our son. I don't know if you want to talk for a second, Mark, even about how your dad was the first one who even noticed. I think it was when he was pushing Trevor on a swing and he noticed Trevor wasn't looking at him anymore and making that eye contact. Do you remember? I don't remember that particular incident, but I, I do recall us being suspicious and we were just always being hyper vigilant and curious, uh, looking for for patterns, looking for signs. So it was just something that was always in the back of our minds. We weren't overly concerned about it, but we were totally paying attention to see if enough signs were there. And even when I look back at pictures too, I keep wondering now, knowing you know what I do know, did I miss something at some point? And he really was. And we hear this so often from parents, just this very typical development. 
And then just all of a sudden, really, it was within, I'd say, like a three to five month span of time that he lost his eye contact, started a hand flap, walked walking on his toes and started to lose some of his words. Now that was an experience that we had. I've talked to many parents where they knew right on their child didn't want to be held or even feeding was very difficult. Just some other signs that they kind of had a little bit of that. Right now, we're looking at one in 54 children are actually receiving a diagnosis or suspect a diagnosis of autism currently. It definitely has is more prevalent in boys than it is girls. And although it is a lifelong diagnosis, there's so much that can be done over the years and with good, consistent support from school systems, from professionals and families working together to really help achieve some really great outcomes uh, for individuals who are on the spectrum. And Don, I really liked the quote that you sent over from Dr. Temple Grandin that I thought was a lot of fun. Did you want to actually read that? I think it'll be fun coming from you. So, yeah, I mean, Kim, it really is. Folks on the spectrum have wonderful lives. They can have a wonderful independent life, get married, have jobs, do all kinds of things. And Dr. Temple Graydon, who's a renowned animal behaviorist and autism advocate, said, who do you think made the first stone spears? The Asperger guy. If you get rid of all the autism genetics, there would be no more Silicon Valley. Yeah. And she's absolutely right. So Asperger's is like that level one that Kim was mentioning before. It's the person who is a little off, but really operates independently and does great things in the world, but may have difficulty at a cocktail party or may have difficulty working in a larger team. And I know lots of these folks. And and Kim, you had mentioned uh, diagnosis in the young age. I've actually worked with a lot of adults whose child gets diagnosed and then they suddenly realize, wait, this is my life. And as an adult, they recognize, oh, I'm on the spectrum. And and here are why all these quirky things have gone on for me. And they're super successful. Totally agree. And for some of our listeners, they may be saying you're using that term Asperger's. And many still like to use, you know, the term Asperger's. We've kind of have started to move away from that on the actual diagnostic tools and lean towards saying high functioning autism, kind of that level one. But I too often prefer saying Asperger's because I know that so many people, especially when I'm out in the community, they tend to understand that a little bit better. Sure. And this quote comes from Dr. Grandin probably 15 years ago Mm -hmm. from one of her talks. So that would be quite a ways back. So, Kim and Mark, what was the process like for both of you when you discovered your son was on the spectrum? And I mean more personally, what was it like in your marriage? What was it like as a mother and a father? 31 years ago, right? For me, it was, I don't know, almost, I'm not going to say a non-event. My wife's such a trooper and she is such a take charge type of person. I feel like I had the privilege of being able to kind of relax with it, just accept it and make good of it and and never really was that concerned because our son was awesome. He has a, a great spirit about him. So I was going to have fun with this. And I, I felt a little, again, a little relieved that knowing that Kim was, had a, a lot of background knowledge for some reason and was not afraid of just really leaning in and understanding oh, what are the options? What are the best things that we can do for them in, in terms of capabilities, enablement? Because we were going to 
we were going to have fun with it, but we wanted to get prepared ourselves the best we can and put him in the, in the best preparation mode. And I'm going back to when we first did that class in Miami and where he learned where Trevor, I don't know how old was Trevor then, but he learned how to be a student and that carried forward. That was a good thing. Oh my gosh. And it's funny that was his remembrance of that, but mine was just seeing how upset Trevor was in trying to work through learning in a different way that I was very close to saying, forget it. I can't, I can't do this anymore. But you know, there's things that happen for a reason. And, and I don't mean that to sound quite as cliche as that does, but I was in one of those Jimboree classes and made really good friends with somebody whose son was already diagnosed and on the spectrum. And he was the same age as my daughter. And for the listeners, remember, she's 18 months older than Trevor. Mm -hmm. So here I had this great friend that was put in my life. And when Trevor got the diagnosis, it, it just made such a difference that I had somebody that was already walking ahead in the same shoes. And we became really good friends with them at the time. And I think that makes a difference. There's so many people that they're either away from their extended family or their friends don't know what to do. And because there are these, can be these horrific tantrums. And it was just so hard. I remember just the sleepless nights, whether it was Trevor who wasn't sleeping or me for worrying and trying to make sure that we weren't missing anything. Should we be doing this? Should I be worrying about the diet? I mean, you have so many things that are swirling in your head. And honestly, I think at that time, my vision was that there would be a cure. I mean, remember, this is going back 25 years ago. My journey definitely has taken me to a whole different realization. And I think that's what happened at that five years old, dropping him off in that kindergarten class. It was that realization that this wasn't going to be that easily fixed and leaving that classroom and coming out in those tears and then having this amazing group of people that were right there to kind of help swoop in made, I think, all the difference in the world. And, and you had mentioned that you're one of your all's fathers noticed some of the signs early on. What other effect was there on the extended family or even in society, like your neighbors and that kind of thing? It's a great question. You know, extended family, when they heard, people always start off with this kind of, oh, I'm so sorry. And they see the disability instead of the ability. And I think that struck both Mark and I just right kind of from the get go that we didn't quite look at it that way. And it really wasn't until people's reactions looking like that, that made me say, oh my gosh. But I knew that wasn't a place where I wanted to kind of get stuck. I think also was probably hard going into, Trevor had some horrific tantrums going into like any place he thought that he was, would be able to get some type of electronic game or anything. He would just kind of take it, put it under his arm and kind of say, thank you. And if we were like, oh, no, we can't. I mean, it was full blown tantrum and you're seeing everything stop wherever you are and a lot of stares. And I think that was really hard for you. For me? Yeah. You. Mm. Well, because we don't want, don't want to disrupt peace or whatever. So, yeah, it was awkward to have the, those things go on, but understandable 
And this is the beginning of one of the other tips that we would like to share. It's like, know your child's triggers. And because we, we spend our whole, well, it sounds like we're spending our whole life trying to focus on what are those things that could set somebody off and minimize those events, if you will. So that, but that's just getting to know and getting to understand those quirks and then having these little guardrails around to prevent that from happening. Getting back to your question about the siblings and grandparents adjusting, I guess, or to the new truth. I'm going back to grandma where she like, like, oh, here's the label. And I assume that somebody has no ability. So we, even to this day, they go, oh my gosh, there's some surprise. Look at him. He's doing blah, 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 like somebody normal. And we're like, yeah, of course he's not <laughs> that broken. I, mean, I wish you wouldn't think that, but it's funny. Something else, Don, I think that's important to that Mark's even hitting on is the hypervigilance that so many families, whether it's autism or really any different disability, that intellectual developmental disability, is this hypervigilance for everything, whether it's what's going on. Okay, now we need to start school. What's set up? What's going to, oh, we're going to go to a restaurant. It doesn't matter what it is. Oh, we're going to a doctor's appointment. I mean, there's so many things that I think you become so hypervigilant about. And I look back and I, and just thinking about these questions for you tonight, it's like, oh my gosh, he's come so far from there that it's hard to remember how difficult it was during those, especially those early years. But also for many parents, they're still in that place. Just if their child's impacted more greatly, a lot of those challenges and that constant hypervigilance can really take a toll, as you can imagine, on a marriage. Very difficult at times. Yes. So do you have any thoughts for families who are struggling with that? Maybe they have a level three child? I think it's reaching out. It's reaching out to the Autism Society. We actually have 19 resource specialists that are across the entire state of North Carolina, but every single one of the resource specialists is a parent also. And there are so many in some areas, there's really great resources and whether it's through the school or community, there's areas that are very rich in resources. And then we do work with a lot of communities that are very poor in those resources. But it's, I think one of the worst things, Don, truly is families that feel like they're alone, that there's nobody there to help them. Nobody's going to understand that really are those single parents that are at it themselves too. And just really want to send that hope that it doesn't, we're, we're here and we can help connect to whether it's other parents or other resources, social groups, chapters, support groups. It's really trying to connect and not feeling like you need to live just within your four walls and you're trying to manage that on your own. So being that isolated and the pandemic has really made that very difficult, as you can imagine. Oh, um, you can only imagine. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. And that's such a human thing to to feel like you're alone. And if you just reached out, you'd find that there are lots of people who would uplift and support you. But mm-hmm. you got to reach out to get that. Yeah, well, powerful. It, it is very powerful, but we hear from enough people, too, that they have tried that. And because their loved one has more significant needs, that can be difficult at times, too, because people are like, I want to help, but I don't know how this is more than I'm going to know 
what I can do. And that's where just reaching out to us so that we can help do some of that out-of-the-box thinking and make sure that we can help connect the family to even state-funded resources and what have you. That's a whole nother show for another day, but we're able to help walk parents through that, just help them navigate that whole journey, really from birth to, I don't like to say birth to grave because we're not anywhere near there, but really the life, the lifelong journey that we're here to help. Kim, I think one of the questions that's coming up for me, just because I have two two individuals on my caseload who are adults who just got diagnoses. And what are some resources for them where like their family is not necessarily involved in their life anymore, but they're still looking for that connection with other people? What are some resources for them? There actually are some really great resources, Kim, for adults on the spectrum, but it just depends on what they need and what their, where their age is. So it's anything from they need some like job tip coaching. Through the Autism Society, we do offer a job tips program. And the cool thing is now with telehealth, anybody across the state can be part of that if it's for job tips. And there's voc rehab. For social, there's different social groups that are open across the state. And it really takes the right mix, I think, that you probably see as well, Kim, that maybe it's even better around what a special interest may be if they like walking or jogging. Of course, there's a lot around gaming and looking at that. So sometimes that's nice for them to kind of find their people who also have some of their special interest areas that they like to hyper-focus on. There's support around housing that through the ARC of North Carolina, they do a really nice job with helping with some of the housing issues. But then again, I will say that reaching out We are not-for-profit, and the resource specialist, there is no fee for us. So when I'm saying this, I don't want anybody listening thinking, oh, yeah, they just want the business. This isn't a business. This is something that, that we do. It's how the Autism Society got started back 50 years ago, was this small group of parents coming together because of all the original talk that parents or moms were refrigerator moms, and that's what caused the autism. But in looking at where we are now, 50 years later, we're able to help them or you, if there are professionals that are listening to this today, reach out. We can connect you to the resource specialist that serves your region or your area. Because like I said earlier, What's available is not consistent, unfortunately, across the state. But there are some great state-funded resources for adults if they qualify. We can help do a little bit of coaching and options around like Social Security, that job tips, helping them locate some peer-to-peer support. So there are some things available, Kim. It's just very specific to where the individual lives and what barriers may exist, like if it is transportation or something else that we can help them work through. Awesome. Thank you. What about what inspirations did you have as you were going through this? Because I know there were ups and downs. So what kind of kept you trucking, kept you inspired that we're going to get through this and things will be good? Well, we're coming from a high functioning standpoint. So it's, it's not that traumatic, but we, what we have our down moments and very, like sometimes a really bad day. I think because we see patterns, because we, even though there's a bad day or a bad moment, it's only a bad day in the bad moment. It's a whole new start on the next day. So, 
you kind of, it's not so much of getting inspiration, but not to get caught up like, oh, this, this bad moment, bad, the struggle is not forever. The struggle is a, a moment in time and let's learn from it. And then sometimes in Kimo, how many times do we, not how many times, but when we see a buildup of frustration and then we know there's a boiling point, right? So we, when they, when those events occur, we kind of play it back the next day. Gosh, what led into this so that we can kind of recognize something is starting to escalate and, and know how to learn better next time to when to cut it off before it gets too extreme. And I think too, you talk about just inspiration also, and regardless of our, both of our parents, I've lost both of mine now, but they were our biggest fans And that meant the world to know that you had people in your corner like that. And Mark's parents as well, they've just been there for us. And we've been really just blessed to have a nice friend network. And the friend network wasn't the one we thought back before Trevor's diagnosis. And that changed too. people that knew that we come as one unit and that Trevor is going to want to check out your house so he knows where all your electronics are and just really neat (laughs) friends that thought that's funny. Trevor, we know it's Trevor and he's going to go do what he's going to do. I think too, just getting through the difficult times because we've also had some significant medical issues with Trevor there for a couple of years. I always tell Mark, it's keeping a sense of humor. It's trying to be flexible, trying to not get too much in our heads, which I can do more than him. And he's great at trying to help bring me, you know, back to a place of, okay, Kim. And I think that has made a big difference. I'm not sure, Kim, if that exactly answered your question. Yeah, it did. And I think within that, you tied in some really good tips for parents who are starting this journey. I liked the behavioral chain analysis is the looking back and finding (laughs) the keys that are leading up to that kind of big explosion. What would you like neurotypical people to know about relating to a child or an adult who's on the spectrum? I was looking at that in anticipation of that question, Kim, and Something early on when people stared, I would get embarrassed. And now our son, he's tall. Mark saying high functioning. He's pretty impaired. He's not conversational. He's got some nice functional language and he's got some great splintered skills. But he's an absolute joy and he's so much fun. But you know when he's out and you meet him, there's no question. You don't wonder, oh, it seems a little quirky. Oh, no, he does still does the toe walking, kind of runs back and forth, may be very silly, hands in the ears and what have you. And I've learned over the years that when people are staring, it's not in a negative place. It's in a place of lack of awareness. It's not even as much not being accepting. And I have found just people in general in the communities and stuff, that there's generally some really great kind people out there who just don't know how to react. And I would tell them to just treat him like you would anybody else. Say hello. Say, oh my gosh, I see that you're laughing at that. That is pretty funny. Don't be afraid because he acts different. And I think that helps him know that he's accepted and embraced. And something that Mark and I have really noticed over the last few years is just how aware Trevor is, even to the point that we didn't realize that he was taking in as much as he does. So 
I would want people to just treat them with respect, treat individuals and people who look different or unique or seem a little quirky to truly treat them with respect, treat them like you would anybody else would be something that that I would want to get across. And something else for the younger kiddos, I think it's really important that family and friends ask the family, the parents, the caregiver, if there's somebody else, whoever's with that child, ask them, what is the best way to communicate? What do they like? So that you can help kind of get on their level to some extent, especially when they're younger. Is there anything else? Like I said uh, early on about the assumptions, depending on if the neurotypical, how exposed they are in the past. So my parents were just assuming the worst, a label means blah, blah, blah. And they were like, didn't know how to do or how to interact. I have to say that the younger generation, the kids at church and school are like, everybody is so accepting in the peer group, like in the schools. And it actually brought me to tears how they were so like, oh, Trevor, he's graduating fifth grade, whatever it was. He had no idea what it meant, but the the kids were really enjoying his company or enjoying to be his partner or shadow person for the day. So that was fun. So as Kim said, finding out and not being afraid to ask is every person is unique and every one of them has a unique, an unnoticeable skill or gift. So go ahead and ask the parents, ask the people who know him best. Hey, what are the, what are the things? uh, How do I interact and how can I relate? Because that really does pay off. And we have helpers come over or company. We're about ready to have company come here for the first time next week that haven't seen our son in, in dozen years and I'm sure they'll have questions. We're going to encourage it and we're going to share with them. Oh, he's going to love this. Watch. And then they can get comfortable and be themselves and not feel like, oh, that's an awkward thing going on. It, it becomes normal for them, too. There's a question that I want to ask that wasn't on the list. So if it takes you by surprise and you don't want to answer it, don't worry about it. We talked about the transition into kindergarten when he was mm-hmm. around five years old. What's it like for families in the transition to independent living? I kind of have put myself on the five-year cycle almost, and I think every parent experiences their, there is a sense of loss. There is a sense of grief. Right now on Facebook, our friends whose kids are his same age, they're getting married. Some of them are starting to have children, and there's a piece of me that I, I start to go down that path of what we've missed. We lovingly joke that I don't know that we're ever going to be truly empty nesters, but those transitions are hard, especially into adulthood where we are now. It is difficult, Don, because just thinking that where will he live as we age? What are we going to do? There's just so many questions around that. And for individuals who truly are higher functioning that may possibly be able to live independently or even in, in some type of group setting where they're very aware, they know what they're, they're pretty much on their own. Some of them are going out working part-time jobs and what have you. But for the other group of us whose you know, kids are more significantly impaired and don't have that full communication, I think one of the, the things that is the scariest for us is just thinking about his safety. And for so many reasons, that's to me, for me, is one of, and Mark's over here nodding his head a mile a minute, like that's what's truly is scary. So honestly, I've been thinking about what that may look like, but I'm not ready emotionally to go there. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that 
Oh, that was a great answer. Because right? yeah. it is a process and it is scary. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is, as Kim pointed out, perpetual. It's ongoing. We notice, I guess everybody's this way, they kind of have growth spurts every couple of years, whatever, noticing. But that hypervigilance, as Kim mentioned earlier, is always on. It's just the, the degrees or where you're hypervigilant about changes. And because he doesn't vocally articulate things well, if we, oh, pick up a shirt in the mall and look at it for 10 seconds and turn around and we just lost sight of him, I'm having a heart attack. I don't care what age he is. He's not able to fend for himself. So that's, it's as parents, it's hard to relax. And I got to tell you, my, my brothers, for example, are on vacation. They're doing these things and they're relaxing and they have all this spare time. I don't look at it like out of envy, but because we put ourselves second or third in terms of just hanging in there as a family unit, we don't think about, oh, when are we going to get downtime? How come I can't do da 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 da? But we probably should do more of that and be more intentional about it. But that's us, right? The way we went about this is that we adjusted all our little, our lifestyles, our habits, our ability to do vacations together or separate, separately, like with or without the kids. We just had to make those adjustments. And some families, and we've done family, a couple of family trips, and then if Disney World were to reopen, we're back in again. But we tend to schedule them around what would be, my son's a thrill seeker. So whatever we do, wherever we go, there's got to be a destination, if you will, like a theme park or something to go to. And that's good. We kind of get, we all win. We all were on vacation. We're all someplace else. We're at a hotel. We're going to go to a restaurant, but we're doing some, something has to be in the agenda that would keep him happy so that the rest of us could, you know, so that we could all stay together and have a relatively good time. It's a really good point that Mark's touching on, because I know I've talked to plenty of friends and families that are in kind of the same boat. And I do want to say to anybody who's listening how important it is that couples are trying to get away, even if it's for a short weekend and even if it needs to be, you can't, you're too anxious to go too far, but that time's important. You need to refill that bucket, right? Because that can be very draining to be on this constant roller coaster of that hypervigilance. I will say this though, with great hope is we are working on skills with Trevor that, and he will learn. He pretty much can do all of his own independent skills within the household. It just may take a little longer than for somebody else. So it is working up toward that where you can be able to step away more is really important in working towards those skills to whatever your loved one's abilities are. It's important to kind of have that be forward thinking. I'd say too that we're still on the journey. I mean, this whole moving into this adulthood, exactly. And I know Don probably knew that as well, just knowing that Trevor's 25 and, and I'm sure Kim too in her practice that there's a lot that we still have to prepare ourselves for emotionally and in in moving, you know, forward. I mean, we're both in our upper 50s and but we need to make sure that he's going to be in a good place. I think one of the scariest things, too, is and this is just an aside and Kim probably hears some of this, too. It's staff turnover. So you could even find this amazing group home that just seems fantastic. I mean, it's great for three years and you have this staff turnover. And then and that's the kind of thing that just scares the atomy, really, Mm -hmm. is that. And who's going to be monitoring and watching all that? As I was looking over the questions and listening, 
you did an amazing job of covering all of the questions with each answer. You were often giving a personal story and shareable wisdom at the same time. And it was pretty incredible. So I really appreciate that. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I think for me, the summary is really, this was an incredibly educational episode for me about a subject that I really don't know anything about. And I feel like now I know something. Thank you both for bringing not only your personal experiences, but also that that incredible wisdom that you've gathered over the years. And I think for any of our listeners, this should be hugely informative and inspirational. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And if our listeners want to learn more about autism and support the Autism Society of North Carolina, you can find them at autismsociety-nc.org, which we will also include in our show notes, of course. You can get a twice-monthly email from autismsociety-nc.org slash contact-us. Again, we'll link that in the show notes. And if you're looking for any resources related to the Autism Society of North Carolina, you can call 919-743-0204 and just ask for whatever you need and that number will get you where you need to go. Thanks so much for listening and until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azavitofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face.